All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back, Lights Out Podcast, people. We have another good one. Our favorite thing we do, of course, deep dives. Uh, legendary fighters, you know, legendary 50 Fight Club members. So tonight we have not only 50 Fight Club member. This guy's got 50 wins in that 50 Fight Club. That means you probably had more than 50 fights, unless you're undefeated or something. But he's got more than that. So. Um, and, I mean, including, I mean, something really kind of cool. He's got two wins over uh, one of the most dominant welterweight champs of all time and did it in about 20 seconds for both of the fights combined. So, uh, Dennis Holman. Dennis, what's happening, brother? Hey, hey. Uh, hanging out there, you know? Doing That's right. Good. That's right. Uh, now, a uh, little conversation we're going to have. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, what do you got for him, man? You didn't right, do all so, the investigative journalism, so let's hear it. Yeah, see, Dennis, unfortunately for yourself or anybody in your house, Chris <laughs> allows us to use his friendship to open up doors and just really settle in, go through your refrigerator and look in between the couch <laughs> cushions. I got a bunch of questions for you, and I really hope you, you, you kind of give us a, a little bit of your time. Um, Let's start with Mike McClure. There's a couple of fights on your record that are very surprising that they stand out because there's no way you should have lost that fight based on well, like, well, well Mike McClure. If you watch the Mike McClure fight, the guy I that did. the guy that for me, uh Pat Militich, um, who I think would know better than anybody else, he scored it for me. And then uh a couple of retards scored it for Mike. Um that yeah, was what is that about? Like, let me just get everybody on the same page right here. So it goes three rounds. Hallman clearly won the fight. So they go to the judge's decision. I don't know if Mike McClure was like a hometown guy or, or what happens. And they, they say, ah, we're going to have to go into overtime. We're not real happy with this decision. <laughs> Am I off on that? Uh, if, I re- if I recall, yeah, that was, I think, like 1998, a long time ago. Man, so, so what happened like in in that fight? Was he the hometown favorite, or was was he a big ticket seller? I don't remember. I was it was dude, it was a long time ago. I don't think it was a. I don't know if he was a hometowner, but um, yeah, I didn't even know how to lose yet because that was my first loss, and I I didn't I did not understand what what the hell was going on, and then they they announced a decision, and I was just confused. And <laughs> I'll be honest with you, it is a little bit. It's a long time ago, so it's hard to remember, but. Something's fishy there because that was Extreme Challenge 23. Mike McClure looks like one of those kind of hitman guys because he didn't fight more than five times per, you know, the, the, the internet. And you had just come off the win over Hughes at Extreme Challenge 21. So Monty brings you back and gives you this guy. Uh, was he tough? What do you remember about the actual fight? Uh, I don't remember a lot, but I just remember that, that uh, yeah, he was in there. Like he didn't, he was, he was, uh, you know, he brought it. And he was, so I, I was used to being able to finish guys pretty good. And he, he was able to stay out of that. I didn't feel like I was in danger ever. Like, um, so that's pretty much what? all I remember. And, and it was just, uh, it was pretty irritating. You know, I, 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 uh, I was kind of pissed about the end of the fight. You know, that, that the way that the judges went, I, I learned, I learned about judges at that time. You know, I used to like how <laughs> Used to like how they'd go uh, win, lose, or draw. You know that's how that's how Monty had a lot of his fights, and I, I appreciated that. But we were in the tournament, so it didn't quite work out. All right, so I mean, we're going to talk about the elephant in the room. We're already one question in, uh, and usually, like we'd like to kind of put this down the line. 
But Chris, I'd like to point one thing out. Jeff Monson was cornering him. Uh -oh. oh, that's the elephant. Yeah, dude, that's <laughs> it's one of our favorite fighters in terms of stories. And, and Monson at this point, so this is like what your seventh or eighth fight. Were you have you been really, training with like, Monson? Really, it was like it was like my nineteenth or twentieth fight, really. But <laughs> that's that's bonkers. But, <laughs> well, I mean. Yeah, they, they didn't keep good records back then, Dennis. I'm sure you had a bunch of wins that aren't on there. You know what I mean? So yeah. were you were you training with Jeff from the beginning? Like, no, from I could, Jeff was uh, – I was training for like maybe two years when I when Jeff came in. Uh, he was a wrestler guy. Um, he was from my hometown, but he was a few years older than me. And uh, he was doing judo, and he came into the local school that I was teaching at. I mean, somebody hired – because nobody knew MMA back then, and I was 19 years old. And I, you know, I knew the basics, but some guy hired me to teach uh, uh, what would they called it NHB back then. <laughs> NHB at his uh, gym and Jeff came in there to try it out. And immediately, you know, we both were like, OK, you know, th this guy's a good wrestler. And, and we recognized that, that both of us were not, you know, the, the, the typical karate guy scrub. And uh, we hit it off and and uh, started training together. So how did you hook up with Matt Hume? Matt Hume was, uh, he was the start of, he started uh, putting on MMA events or uh, pancration events. Uh, there's a funny story. One of my buddies had a, a tattoo uh, called, uh, he had pancration written across his lower back. And we were at the, uh, at the beach one time and we heard this other kid say, hey man, that guy's got penetration tattooed on his lower back. It was terrible. <laughs> But anyway, Matt Hume put on uh, pancreation events, and uh, so he was, you know, we knew that he had went to Japan and that kind of thing. We knew the the, the Matt Hume legend. He, he was a local kickboxing uh, star because um, uh, a promoter, there was a promoter, uh, Eric Wiseman, that put on a bunch of fights um, up north, and Matt wow. was... That's a name I haven't heard in a while. Yeah, he was a star up there, and so I knew who he was because he, he ran uh, AMC and that they were the biggest gym in the area. One of the first ones to basically the gym that spread uh, pancreation through the Northwest. Okay. And so what happened, what happened is I, I got as far as I could go, um, Extreme Challenge 21. And um, then I, I realized that, you know, I better after the, no, it was Extreme Challenge 20 when I fought uh, Phil Johns was uh, that event when I realized that uh, I needed to get with somebody. I couldn't be my own, my own coach, you know. I had to go learn from somebody. So that's why I, I, I sought out Matt Hume. I said, hey, Matt, I'd like to come up and train. He was super happy. So it kind of was a good, good meeting. Miguel and I actually were talking about Phil Johns earlier today. He's one of those, uh, he's one of those guys that, he, dude, he's tough as hell. He's one of the, I mean, when he fought Dave Strasser, he had Dave mounted for like four minutes. The guy was <laughs> a monster fighting. Like he really was. He should have fought um, 135, really. Like, if, if you do then what we know now, you know, he's a 135-pounder. Imagine if, imagine if he would have got to fight his own weight class. Like, he could have fought 135. He would have been a beast. I think he that guy was 45. Small. He may have been a world champion in the early days of MMA at 145. <laughs> there yeah, was a lot of sure. guys who just never had it. I mean, if you were a 35-pounder, you fought a 55. I, mean, I had some buddies like that. And they'd show up at the place, and there's just no way to fight. You get your ass beat at 55, but you were a great 35-pounder, but they just didn't have the weight class, man. Well, that's that's why – I mean, I, I I was little. I was like a – I was 160 pounds max. That's why I did some juice, so I could make 170. Like, because I couldn't I, – I was so small 
and skinny that, that I couldn't really, I couldn't, I wouldn't have been able to compete at a high level unless I put some weight on, you know, when you get up at, mm. at that level that if you're 152 pounds and, and you're fighting, you know, 180, 180 pounds. <laughs> that's, that's, that's Not real rough. Yeah. Exactly. So you had mentioned like extreme challenge 20, five foot giants, you figured like you hit kind of like where you're supposed to be at. How long were you training with Matt Hume prior to extreme challenge 21 when you fought Matt Hughes? Uh, maybe like two or three months. Ooh, man. He, he, so Matt shoots in for a double leg. He's coming up for a slam. Dennis throws in a guillotine and Matt goes completely out. Did you know the minute, you, you know, you clasped your hands. Did you know that you had it? I mean, I, I, I guillotine a lot of guys that aren't, they would always, back then they would always, uh, um, like criticize the arm in guillotine and it always worked for me. So I just, I, it, it worked really well for me. So I just kept it. And so, I mean, I knew when he was out for it, he was out a little bit longer than before the referee stopped it. I knew that, but, um, <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't know right away. I just he, I just squeezed it when I felt it, you know. And then in um, UFC 29 in Japan, um, I think that was it. That was your first fight overseas. Am I correct? Uh, in the UFC, yeah. Um, that UFC. fight, me and uh, actually me and Anthony Hamlet, we drilled that 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 slam 500 times. Like we knew that if I went out there and just like threw a football punch, like just like the overhand that he'd shoot on me and slam me. And so, and our philosophy was like, whoever hits the ground first gets to move first. And that was, it was one of those rare times that everything that you trained and drilled turned out to work out perfectly in the fight. Wow. Now we had talked to Jeff Monson uh, in a previous interview. He had talked about some issues with the scale at UFC 29. Yeah, so that whole trip was crazy. Like, first of all, we're in Japan and we're cutting weight, and they have these big, uh, like these big pools where the sumo guys like wash their ass. You know, they have the deshi boys wash their ass for them. Well, we like to cut a bunch of weight, and we come in, and this there's that water pool where they wash their ass, and freaking Jeff jumps in that pool uh, because he's so exhausted, starts gargling in his mouth with that water. We look over, and Matt Hume is dying, laughing. We're like, what? I, I was about to get in there too, but I, I hadn't quite, thank God. And he, Matt's like, oh my God, that's where, you know, that's an ass wiping pool or washing pool. And Jeff's like, oh, you know, <laughs> just gargled with some butt, with some butt water. It's crazy. Yeah, wow. but for that, like, we were trying to, we were trying to, you know, ask where the official scale was. And so we asked Paul Romero, like, hey, where's the scale? It's uh, me, Tito, and, and Jeff. So we go up to, up to the room, it's the day before, and step on the scale. And it's like literally 15 pounds over. And I had just made 170, and it says I weigh like 184, 185. I'm like, oh, hell no. Because on the triple beam downstairs, there's a triple beam that we could weigh, and I, I made weight, right? So we're the official scale was like a freaking bathroom scale you buy from Walmart for, for $4.99. So we're like, what the hell are we using this for? She goes, nope, that's the, state, the scale they gave me. That's the official one. And so I, I climbed up on top of the bathroom sink, and I jumped up in the air and jumped down and landed on the scale. Boing, the spring broke. And... Uh, <laughs> That was the way it was then. And back then, Chris knows this, and the way the weigh-ins were just, everybody got in a line, and, you know, you cut in line as fast as you could to weigh in. And uh, so the next morning when the weigh-ins are, it's Tito gets in first. Um, I'm like, then somebody else, and I'm, I'm third, and then Jeff, and then uh, then Matt, Hume, or Matt Hughes weighs it, and he's like, well, this is kind of off. Um, I knew to lean forward. And uh, then... Uh, <laughs> 
Kondo gets on it, and then right then the Japanese freak out like, bong, 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 you know, like, what's going on here? The skeleton. By this time, we're just already everyone's looking. We're down in Gatorade. We're like, oh, you know, skeleton. What it was. <laughs> we got away with it, but uh, it really was. They were trying to cheat. I, I believe this that they were trying to make it so Tito missed weight, so they they had the scale all all adjusted the wrong way, you know, to to make it so Tito didn't make weight against Yuki or made it harder for him to make weight. Did Hughes make weight for that event? Yeah. Uh, to do it would have been great. If he didn't, everybody, would... made we, everybody made way for the event because it, we broke the scale. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> you know, uh, after your fight with Matt, he was incredibly cordial. Like, I, I figured, like, yeah, everyone talks about his temper, his attitude and stuff like that. Like, you beat him so fast that I was expecting him to kind of throw a fit, and he <laughs> came over and took your hand. Did you guys almost? Did you guys? It's almost, hard to say much when you beat a guy in ten seconds, dude. What are you gonna say? Uh, did you guys ever like contemplate having a, a third, like a trilogy? Well, I was down, but I don't. He never was. Like, uh, I, I just think that they were they were done with it. That they didn't want to. They didn't want to do it again. You know. Huh. I mean, I was his first and his second loss, so he kind of he. Kinda, I taught him how to lose, but he didn't like it very much. He was kind of a dick to me always, anyway. So I didn't, I didn't uh, have any, you know, I, I didn't. He was just—he seemed like an ass to me though, too. And he was an ass to a lot of people, you know. I, I, I God bless him now. Like I, I, I wish the best for him, but he was a—he was a little dick, you know, to people. It just if you read his book, you know that that what he said about that guy Tim Sylvia, who Tim might have been like a little a little dork or something, but he was mean to that guy, you know, like for no reason. The guy should be his friend. <laughs> so, you know, Matt was, Dennis, you were never mean to Munson. No, those were friendly. Mean, you know, Dennis, we, we we lost your video. If you can, I don't know if you can adjust. I think you're covering it with your hand, Dennis. Oh shit! There you go. <laughs> it was hidden. <laughs> uh, so you would talk about being friendly, mean with Munson. He had talked about like being at work where it well first he describes the relationship with you as you can't go to war with with Dennis Hallman because it's just it's useless he's got all this lackeys he's got the guys from his town he's their leader they listen to him <laughs> he's like it's it's a no-win situation going to war with Dennis Hallman he demands you say things if you don't say it you know he shows up at your job with his friends <laughs> is, do you recall any of this well, here's how it went: is uh, Jeff um, at this time uh, Matt Hume was having like a, um, he was having a, his first mar marital problems and so, so he wasn't kind of like managing us the way that the way that Jeff uh, thought that he should be or something. So Jeff was trying to get more fights than than Matt wanted him to have, and so uh, he was having a little issue. And uh, so I was fucking with him, and I was you know he he was trying to get like some some. Uh, happening behind Matt's back or something and I and I was joking around with him but I'm like Matt knows Matt called me and told me that you know that he wants to have a talk with you because he knows you were you were trying to set up a fight behind his back Jeff got all freaked out like oh my god right and then got all paranoid about it and then I'm like just kidding and he got all, got all pissed right as he's leaving practice we used to have practice at my house as he's leaving practice he uh he just got this brand new car from uh from winning Abu Dhabi he bought this brand new car well this idiot, he like backs his car up and runs over all my recycling, like trashes right into his car, smash all over the glass breaks everywhere. And he backs back up and he's like, how you like that one? Ha ha ha. And then drives off from, we're like, oh, this motherfucker. 
right? <laughs> so, so me and uh, me and the guys lived in my house that night. We went to his house. Well, uh, earlier my 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 roommate Wes he um he was driving home and he got like a uh, he was he had the window down and a bug flew in his eye. So he's all and uh, his eye hurt real bad. So he got real drunk. And uh, there was a possum in the road. And he gets out of my car and kicks this possum. And the possum plays possum. So he puts it in a five-gallon bucket. Well, so we have this five-gallon, this possum in a five-gallon bucket. And so that night we went over to Jeff's house and we just TP'd the business out of his whole, out of all of his property, broke into his car, and uh, we put this possum in his car. Oh, so that, bro. That time, Jeff, Jeff was an on-call psychologist for Lewis County. So, like, if there was something happened, the cops would call him and he'd have to do an evaluation on on the person and let him know what to bring him to the hospital or, or not. Well, he, he got a call at like three in the morning and he opens his door and there's a possum and they're going, hey, hey, hiss, hiss. And uh, <laughs> it, it his car and everything. It was crazy. And uh, that's what started the war. So Jeff's like, oh, you want a war? This uh, The only way this war ends is if you write uh, on a piece of paper your unconditional surrender. Well, that started the war. And <laughs> he drew first blood. <laughs> he drew it by, by, by uh, running over my recycling yeah and, so and, and dennis we all know like how just green you are and yeah, how we recycle somebody such as yourself we did we did go to his well, a couple of things we did him is we, we uh, went to his uh we went to his work we, we took all the seats out of his car and we left him a little milk crate so if you picture big old buff jeff munson trying to drive his toilet to sell around him with a freaking milk crate <laughs> 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 So we almost got caught. He's running after us and we barely got out of there before he caught us. It's pretty funny. <laughs> and then uh, another thing we did is he, when he's in practicing is, uh, you know how when you're, when you spray the windshield wiper fluid on your, on your window, it gets yeah. a little bit, gets on you. Let's go down. Well, we took that and we filled that with piss. And uh, <laughs> so every time it left like a greasy little piss uh, film on his window and it was getting that. And at this time, uh, my son, who's uh, 24 now, um, he was still in diapers, and uh, Wes, my my uh, roommate Wes, he took uh, all of Riley's diapers and took the back of a broom handle and stuffed them down uh, behind the back seat and the edge of the back seat, just like fifteen diapers with the with the back. Oh. <laughs> so bad, right? And um, it was terrible. And so then uh, Jeff started doing. Um, what, what did he do to the to? Oh. He came in and he pissed in all of our shoes. So we had we used to set our shoes up by our bedrooms, and uh, we I go to pick up my shoe and it's freaking full of like liquid, and then I it spills on my hand because he must have just pissed like a gallon, freaking pissed in all of our shoes. I'm like, oh, this this guy is in trouble now. <laughs> so what we did is uh, we took a two liter bottle. We and all of us like you know we were out drinking one night. We filled this two liter bottle up with piss. And then we took some M80s, um, some firecrackers, taped them around, went to his house at like uh, two in the morning, rang his doorbell 30 or 40 times, ding, 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 ding. And then waited until we hear him getting up and running, you know, coming to the door, lit that bad boy. So when he opened the opened the door, kaboom, P-bomb surprise all over him. <laughs> he was so angry. Man. So <laughs> at, at any point, did Jeff's, did Jeff's, like, I think wife, he was married at the time, did, oh, did yeah. she try to call a truce? Oh, she she tried to. We told her, hey, you can get Jeff to sign the unconditional surrender, Jen. And that's where, you know, <laughs> and uh, that weekend, him and Jen leave, and uh, they lived in this modular home at the time. And so uh, me and about 
uh, six of my buddies, we broke into his house and uh, we took his living room and we set his living room up identical to how it was in his house, like to the T. And uh, we set it up on his roof, including the cat. We took the cat, put it on the couch. She was like, meow, meow, put it up there. <laughs> so then his wife comes home and, you know, she's living room, TV, everything plugged in. <laughs> Mork and Mindy on. Did, did that, she did that end it? Did he can surrender or what after that? Oh, no, the, he didn't surrender after that. This is a long, there's this, is, even this went further and further, I'm telling you. Um, <laughs> now, so you, you guys were, were thick as thieves at, uh, throughout all of that because, uh, you know, there were a couple of times Munson was, you know, doing the shuck and jive at the airport on family members, and, and you're the guy who picked them up. <laughs> Oh, I mean, we're we're friends the whole time, anyway. But it was just, you know, just part of the part of the uh, you know part of the war. <laughs> you, part, you gotta, it was different. Gotta, yeah, it was we're friends in practice, maintain, but there's a war right, going. You have, <laughs> you have to maintain yourself. Maintain your maintain yourself, and and if you get pranked, you get pranked. Well, um, tell you what, one of the, the worst thing he did to us is, which was the second to the the thing that his final attack to us before I did our final attack was uh, we came, me and Wes coming home from the bar and we look and uh, our, our Crisco oil is on our, is on a, on the, uh, the countertop. I'm like, what the hell is Crisco doing out? And I look and I'm like, whoa, Wes, don't touch anything. So we start looking around the house, like seeing what's going on. I look over and uh, there's a freak in my shoes. There's a poop in my shoe. I'm like, this motherfucker is shit. Right? So we start looking around. It doesn't around involve and, uh, oil. Okay. Oh, I, we go into Wes's room, and uh, there is a porn, like a little pornography, like a little Playboy that's greasy as hell. We're like, what the fuck is it all greasy for? Right? We look over Wes's pillow, and yes, uh, Jeff ejaculated on Wes's pillow. Disgusting-ass bastard. Shit in, his, uh, shit in his drawer, right? And pissed all over his room. I had my 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 room locked, thank God, because he only shit my shoe. And um, what he also did, we didn't find this out uh, like another month, is Wes's room stunk for a long time. He took it, he shit in a coffee can, and Wes had a water bed, and he like stashed it underneath the water bed. And so this his bed stunk, <laughs> like his room stunk. We couldn't figure it out for a long time until we moved the room. We were like, oh, that bastard had killed, he killed uh, shit in the, in the can. So we were pissed about that. We're like, okay, this motherfucker. So what we did is we broke into his house and. Um, Later on that that Halloween, me and Jeff we were uh, bouncing, uh, being bouncers at this like high like uh, high society uh, Halloween party, and we were the bouncers. And I and I pull out these Polaroid photos. I'm like, oh, check these out, Jeff. They're hilarious, right? Starts looking at me. He's like, oh, somebody's pissing on someone's toothbrush. And then he goes, that's my toothbrush. And I'm like, ha 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 ha. And that that was how he that was when he resigned. He's like, you guys have you have. <laughs> Yeah, he, did, so he he doesn't did. know when you did it, so he could have been using the toothbrush for several oh, months. Oh, he, he was using it. He, it's like that's my wife's toothbrush too. I'm like, you know, it's collateral damage, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you could have convinced you to sign. It's on her. That's on her. She aligned okay. with you. Yeah, that's true. That's true. She picked a side. She did. That's right. <laughs> so I mean, like, like Jeff, Jeff's a crazy guy, man. Like one time, uh, Yelm Highway is a pretty busy highway, and um. I'm, I, I pull up by my, he, Jeff was supposed to come to my house and he, and he was, Jen was supposed to drop him off and uh, he hadn't dropped him off. So I'm like, what the hell? And so I went up to the store and I see walking down the highway, buck naked Jeff, buck naked. Our so first I pull naked up, like, what, the, what the hell is going on? I pull up to him and I'm like, Jeff, what are you doing, dude? It's like, 
this is a, I'm having a protest. I'm like, you're doing a protest? So like Jenna was being a bitch. I'm protesting. I'm like, Jeff, this is not the way to protest, bro. You don't get fucking naked and walk down the street. So I throw him a coat and make him get in. And that his his uh his rational thinking was not there sometimes. I was wondering what it was like, you know, imagine you're arrested, you know, in Yelm. And you know they call for an evaluation, and you re- you realize that it's this guy that's trying to evaluate you, and you're like, "This isn't fair." Man. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and his answer to everything right. is, "Well, did you take your clothes off?" That's probably. I mean, because I know that's a theme with him. He's done it when he gets mad in grappling matches. He's like, "That's it. I'm taking my clothes off." That's his form of protest, no matter what. He's like that dude off of uh, Trailer Park Boys. Takes his freaking pants off. Every gets all buck naked. <laughs> you know, my ex-wife. God rest her soul. Saw Jeff naked at one of his protests. For months, she would talk about just how small his dick was. Like she was, she couldn't get over it. Like she would be telling her friends the story, having to vouch for like how big he was as a human being. She couldn't believe it. She couldn't believe it. Maybe it was cold, Mike. He's huge too. uh, It's a, 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 you know, it's a perspective. Matt Lillian tells a story about when he was in Brazil and got naked. He's like, Jeff looked like a 12-year-old boy out there. <laughs> that was Terrible. the Marcelo Garcia protest. That's the famous one. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. All right, so UFC 33, um, your fight with Jens Pulver. It was built up as if it were a longstanding rivalry dating back to your hometown. Yeah, that wasn't true. Like the Jens, he won the he won the state title a couple times before I did, and he was a, he was a little older than me. And uh, the UFC wanted to have something to 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 make it more exciting. I guess that was their it was their first pay per view event. And um, Jens was kind of a dick. Like uh, he was always an arrogant little dick. I mean, he's nice. He was nice now. Like after we got to know each other, but prior to to sitting down and talking with him, he was just arrogant. And um, you know, so I didn't like him very much, and and but there was no like pre pre rivalry or anything like that. Just he was a, a dick to me when we, when I was younger, when I was like a younger wrestler in high school, and he, you know, he didn't know me because he was older, and he was like the premier guy when I was just a young kid coming up, you know. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And you know that was at UFC 33. Did you do any? Uh, that was your second UFC appearance. You were in real good shape for that fight. Did you do the photo shoot with Carmen Electra? Remember they brought her around to be like the spokesperson? Right. I remember that. I don't remember doing anything like that. I don't remember. A long time ago. Dude, it was like one of those, like, we have no idea what they're thinking of. And they had uh, Carmen Electra, like, doing some weird, I don't know, I I mean, promotion for the UFC. And no one really cared about her, they kept shoving her down your throat. Right. I think Dana was banging her or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's now, weird. Now, now, Dennis, in some of your um, earlier fights, I felt like, I mean, you, you go out there and, and you submitted people really quick. But it seemed like sometimes uh, you ever feel like we couldn't much wait for those because I felt like sometimes you faded later on. And you, you, you corrected that later on in your career, I felt like. Yeah, well, I, I didn't know that I had celiac disease, which caused my hormones to be messed up. But if you look at me, I have a concave chest. Like it's, it's, uh, like, uh, it's pretty deep, not as deep as like some guys, but so what happens when my heart starts beating really, really fast is I can open up my mouth and my, my heart beats on my lungs. So I'll be like, 
like just from standing there, it'll it'll my heart push on my lungs. So I get I get gassed out pretty quick. And uh, so my I, I mean I knew this no matter how how hard I trained, but I didn't know that I had a hormone problem at the time either. So that included with with uh, my celiac disease, my my cardio just never was. I could train really hard. I could get up there, you know, get get as high, but it was never as good as, as, uh, you know, the, the average guy that could train, you know, they could get his cardio up there. I always had a, that kind of problem. So knowing that I figured that I could just, you know, I, I better push it all, you know, be a fast starter and, um, you know, go as, go as hard as I can right off the bat. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that, that was my strength and my weakness was if you could, if you could weather the storm, you know, I think that was kind of like, it worked just against Matt Hughes as he was more of a slow starter and, you know, if he, if he gets going, then he's like a train that's hard to stop. So, but he makes a lot of mistakes at the beginning. So that's, mm. that's kind of why it's a bad matchup for him. You know, I, I was a starter. You know what? Uh, I, I would say like the first time I ever met you and saw you, we had that grappling match. And we both met in the finals. We got to Abu Dhabi and it was like a 20 minute thing. And you didn't run out of gas there. I did, man. I remember <laughs> Last five minutes, nobody moved. It was zero to zero. And then you wait until there's one minute left. And you go, you ready? I go, yep. And then we went for a minute. It was a year's thing, Miguel. Remember? And then you passed my guard and won. So it's just like, yeah, I didn't, you didn't run a gas there. You were, you were plenty good there. Now we were, I, but we were just grappling. Like, uh, yeah, that's true. The, for, it was hard for me to transition because I, I mean, I wasn't like you. I wasn't a, I wasn't uh, real familiar with with uh, with boxing and stuff. So the anaerobic compared, and then the, the the switching from aerobic to anaerobic for me was was I didn't I didn't uh, I really didn't get figure that out until later on in my career. So if I could just okay. like that that match, I stalled as long as I could because I knew you were a pretty slick grappler. So I just tried to keep it slow and and keep the score down because so I knew that I could score you know and score some points in a short period of time but I'd get you know I'd be tired after that so I waited so there was a little bit of time left and and tried to explode you know that was hilarious man I just remember that every every couple of minutes how much time is left it's like five minutes how much time three minutes <laughs> let's go that was funny as could be man so right. it works far move so <laughs> with, with your fight with pulver could you walk us through it like what you're your what you've taken away from it um shit like I, I i got pretty dizzy in that fight too like i don't know if it was from me like like cutting weight or from hitting it or from him getting hit me getting hit it was more like uh but i was seeing like those little stars you know like uh when you see stars Ooh. being tired i was i was seeing that i remember that um let, let me ask you dennis remember you right before that fight though we you know we kind of knew each other you were confident heading into that fight, though. You you thought you had- I, I just knew that I could. I knew that I could submit him pretty like if I if I got some time to grapple him. But he, he his coaches did a pretty good job, like having him shut down. And back then, I, I mean, people don't know this, but that's the reason why they changed that UFC thirty three. They changed the rules. It used to be there was no stand ups, and then after that fight, they changed it and made uh, made it so there were stand ups. The referee could stand you up. But um, you know, when I'd go to the guard, like I, I figured that I could. I could, uh, you know, set him up and, and submit him, but Militic and those guys did a good job having him just shut down, you know, so it's hard to submit somebody when they just completely shut down on you. Mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, they don't give you anything to work with. Yeah, you know, you had talked about arrogance and stuff like that. You mentioned it with Jens, with both Jens and Matt Hughes. You know, I'm a Midwest guy. I'm from the Chicagoland area. And, you know, that type of attitude that you're describing is kind of synonymous with Militage fighting systems. <laughs> like there was, they would walk into a venue and just 
We, you know, some of the guys. So Dennis, like one of my favorite fights of yours to watch was a fight you took on 12 days notice. You fought Frank Trigg. You fought him twice, but I kind of like to go one at a time. You fought him at WFA four. Would you mind walking us through that fight? Um, yeah, I took the fight on short notice and then, uh, we were, we were having a good scrap. I mean, I thought we were having a decent fight and, uh, then the dude like knees me in the balls, kicks me in the balls and, uh, <laughs> like it fucked me up. He kicked me really good. And, uh, to the point where like when I went to the, when I went to the hospital afterwards, I had to get a, uh, an ultrasound on my balls. And the two nurses were arguing over who was going to give me the ultrasound. Ridiculous. <laughs> like they both wanted to or they didn't want to. But my ball, <laughs> they wanted to. <laughs> ball was like my fist, you know, like one of them did. He got caught in between my cup and, and, uh, ah. yeah. So, but he like, he acted like the, like he was a freeway hero after, after that fight. Like he did something good or something. But that that fight ended up being a loss on my record because they didn't have it in they didn't have it in the books at that time that if you use an illegal technique that you could win, and so they they ended up changing the rules after that fight in Nevada. That's strange because yeah, Chris, he got clipped. He got I mean there was no like you see his eyes, like like when someone's concussed they have a certain look. And when somebody gets kicked really hard in the balls, it's a different look. You know, it, it, he had that different look. W whatever the opposite of a, like a concussion of your of your of your balls looks like, he had that on his face. Like he was like, "Oh my god!" But they gave him the they gave Frank Trigg the win via abandonment, like because oh. you couldn't answer the bell. Right, they gave me five minutes to continue, and I was like, "Dude, I told the ref, I'm like, look at my nut, dude. It's fucking getting yeah, huge." He, he'll he opened up his trunks so the referee could see his balls. Like, I'm not lying. Well, it was like growing, like it was swelling, like fucking bigger and bigger. And I'm like, dude, I'm not going to fight with a fucking nut the size of my fist, you know? Yeah. Now, let me ask you so, a question. Just, just I'm, a, I'm out of limb here. How did Frank Trick strike you before the fight? Did you like him? Did you not like him? What was he like, like personally? Um, I didn't have any opinion on him, really. Like, he was. The pro. Was, and it, after, like, after the whole, um, like, we fought again in UFC, and well, um, you were winning that fight, like, you were absolutely winning that fight, and he was starting to bend. I might also add, prior to that, referee, that low blow. Stopped, I thought the referee stopped the fight way, way fucking soon on that in my UFC fight. With him. I, I'm I talking about the WFA four fight. You were absolutely pulling ahead, and then you received that low blow. Yeah, I mean, but it was a, it was not even a full round. Of fight. I mean, I was, it was a good round, you know what I mean. But it was yeah. like I, I was winning. I can't say he, was, you know, it was just something that happened, and then I got knee in the balls. It was it should have been no contest, not some bullshit yeah. abandonment. Clear. Yeah. All fights, all, all fights moving forward from that will be a no contest because I had to write a letter to to um that what was that guy's name? The guy that used to run the commission. Um, uh, UFC guy now. Um, I need to come out. Yeah. Explained to him like, hey, if I wanted to, the, the rule makes no sense because how about I go out and poke somebody in the eye and then if then they can't continue, then I'm the winner. Or just you know, start racking hard. people, kicking people around the nuts right from the beginning. Bam, as hard as you can all the time. I can't <laughs> continue. <laughs> I could have been a champ.
Chris, you're devious, man. That's terrible, man. <laughs> well, 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 Dennis, you also, uh, like in UFC 48, you, you obviously lost to Frank. And at the end of it, Frank goes over and gives you double fingers. And he explains that he was angry because you contested the first fight and he rightfully won that first fight. Did, did you <laughs> run into him afterward? Did you guys bury the hatchet or was it just kind of? Well, no, what, 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 what happened afterwards is, is uh, there was Abu Dhabi 2005 in, uh, in Long Beach, California. And uh, this was, was before there. his fight before his fight with, uh, with Jens or with uh, GSP. And I, I thrashed his knee. So I got him in. A, I put him in. A, the 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 people from Abu Dhabi were so nice to me. I said, I, I want to join the, uh, the tournament. I was like a late entry. I go, can you please make me go against Frank Drake in the first round? And they were like, uh, we can't do that. Um, we can't let you pick. But lo and behold, I was against Frank Drake in the first round. And um, <laughs> I just I, I grabbed a hold of that 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 heel and I fucking yanked it. And it, you could feel it just tear. So he went in that fight with uh, with GSP with a torn knee. But um, but after that, like we we bury the hatchet, you know, like <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, you know, you know, back back during those times, I know, like in between UFCs, you'd fight in other organizations. We all did because there was no contracts or whatever. Like so, uh, I remember one time I was gonna fight a guy. I can't remember his name. Like CJ Taylor, JTT. I can't remember. And he don't he hadn't had many fights, but one of them was with you. And I, the dude just. I wasn't even going to fight the guy, but he talked so much trash about me. I was like, who is this guy? And so uh, did he do the same thing to you to kind of goad you into fighting him? He did. But um, so we had – I actually, JT ended up being a nice guy too eventually, but he was a real a real peckerwide at that time. Yeah. And um, <laughs> what happened with him is uh, – and, and I have a lot of respect for him for what he did. And our fight, our fight was a win-lose-or-draw fight, and um, I just I dominated him completely in the fight. But um, his dad died the night before, and he, he, he was promoting the show, and he finished, and he continued to fight and fought me anyways. I, like, totally just, like, there's no way in the world I could have done anything like that. I would yeah. have been, been a mess. And um, he, he, he continued, to, he came to the fight and fought. So I, I got a lot of respect for him after that. And, um, but, yeah, wow. he, he was, he had, he thought that, he thought that the way, he really isn't that kind of a jerk of a person, but he thought that the way to get fights against uh, against name guys was to be a total asshole and yeah. um, and do that. He did the same thing with Matt Lindland, and Matt Lindland uh, he did, said one of the funniest things I've ever seen is JT came into his gym and was like, "I want to fight you right now." And Matt Lindland's like, "Has anybody got a phone book? Somebody call a therapist." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, JT. Um, he, he didn't he he just didn't he wasn't able to get to that next level and he thought that that was the way to get there was mm. to, was jackass yeah but, I, um, very strange yeah that's the way he fought you and I was like man what's wrong with this guy dude all he wants is tough fights and uh, that ain't the way to get uh, he him got him <laughs> yeah he did he didn't didn't win him but he got him <laughs> <laughs> tough fights for very little pay on the indie scene as well WBC, baby. yeah yeah. So at UC forty or at UC fifty five, he fought Jorge Rivera, and the one thing that I noticed was all the way up until this time, I saw Matt Hume as one of the mainstays in your corner. Um, I think this was your first fight representing American Top Team when you okay. fought Jorge Rivera. What was the reason that you left Matt Matt Hume? 
Um, Matt kind of left us. Like that, that was the time Matt was going through personal issues, like with his first wife. She was uh, she was really running him through the ringer, and um, he just wasn't able to be there for for his um, his guys. Like uh, he, you know, his personal issues really with with uh, with all of us. He just wasn't. He had he had things going on, and and uh, for me, it was time to go. You know, it was time to time to leave that, that relationship. And uh, so, Aaron Riley was in your corner, and um, that that guy's literally fought a who's who. Um, I love what, what is what is your opinion of Aaron Riley being so? It's obviously somebody you spent a lot of time in the gym with. My opinion of him, I love the guy. He's a great kid. I mean, he's a great, uh, he was he was he was a great guy he was funny and uh just a tough kid you know he was the country kid that sat back and watched everybody and laughed and uh he was you know willing to fight anybody he, so he, he had everyone's respect and he was, i mean he was just a good person all right so your fight with jorge rivera was at 185 pounds what was the reason from you going up so high in weight in regards to your career um, I don't know. I fought uh, like I was. I fought on one of the um the local. Uh, I fought that Rory Singer guy on okay. um, on a show at uh, Absolute. I think it was uh, Absolute Fighting Championships. It was for their title, and um, so Joe Silva was going to have Rory Singer fight in the in the UFC next, and then he then I beat him, and so uh, he called me and offered me the spot. And um, it was at 185, so I was like, <laughs> I, I didn't care. I, I said I'd take it, and uh, I just had a real flat fight. Fight that sucked, but um, I guess was it too much weight? weight? No, it wasn't too much weight. It was I, my cardio was horrible. Like I didn't, uh, I didn't. It was before I knew about about any uh, gluten allergies, and I used to stack like load with pasta <laughs> the night before. <laughs> crash my body and um i just i just completely got, i got gassed out big time but um you know the guy was, he was a tough kid but he didn't he didn't have like the he didn't have the skill to finish me like he should have been able to finish me but uh he but it wasn't that he didn't have the skill i won't put it like that he didn't have the uh his his uh coaches were so like worried about me pulling some sneaky trick they like they would just wouldn't they were just telling him to, to hang back you know so he wasn't trying to trying to do anything dangerous to finish the fight and so it's kind of like a you know kind of a ho-hum fight i was just so, so tired i was trying to find a you know trying to sneak and find a, 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 a somewhere where i could try to submit him real quick but but uh didn't end up working out yeah so one of the things like that you see repeatedly in your fights is you like to like you had mentioned earlier, you're a fast starter. So you like to jump out, grab a clinch, take it to the ground and just kind of, you know, work your magic from there. But in UFC 123 against Kara Parisian, like you kept it on your feet. Like you took an exact opposite approach of what I believe Caro expected. Um, the one glaring <laughs> thing of that fight was, was Caro's lack of physical, like he, he looked awful physically did, did you notice that at weigh-ins? Was that something that kind of came into play at weigh-ins, or was it your plan for the beginning? Caro's a really good guy, but um, at that time he was having uh, some issues, you know, with his with with um, his whole his whole fight career, and um, he uh, 
you know, he was having those those anxiety issues where he thought that he was going to die every time he went in the in the cage, and so he would. That's why he was backing out of those fights before <laughs> and stuff. So they uh, they gave him one last shot with me, and to me, he didn't uh, like. I trained my ass off for that fight, um, you know, knowing that that I had that I had better striking than him, and that he they, that that. Uh, I, I didn't believe that he could take me down with his judo. And um, so my game plan was to, to put hands on him. And uh, his game plan was not train for Dennis Hallman at all. And um, come on, fight. And so that's kind of how that, that ended up happening. Like at weigh-ins, did you go back to your talk to your, like the, your corners going, man, he doesn't even look like the same guy. Um. No, they, they mentioned it to me though. Like they're like, yeah, um, he is, uh, this is, this should be an easy one, but it, <laughs> so never easy with that guy. Cause he's dangerous as hell. Even if he looks like his look, looks like he did at that. But, yeah. It, you know, the thing with Carol too, he was training for a title fight against Matt Hughes. I think he tore his ACL refused to get the surgery and by his own admission, not myself, he, he had some issues with some of the, the pain pills. Like he said, he just, it, it made him go crazy. It rewired him. I mean, that's, yeah. that's his words, not mine. Yeah. Um, were you yeah, surprised he, it ended the way it did? Um, no, I mean, that was what we were playing. We were hoping that it would make it a striking battle. And, and um, he went down a lot easier than, than I thought he would. You know, but I guess when you're on, when you're, you know, on, on pain pills and stuff like that, and you don't train for your opponent, that it goes, goes pretty, you know, it's not the. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. Like, I thought that guy was going to be wearing a world title around his waist at one point. Like, he, he certainly had the, the potential to do so. For sure. He, if anybody did, then he did, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. All right. So, you know, fast forward 10 UFCs. The crazy thing about your career is that what you should be known for is <clears throat> defeating Matt Hughes twice in less than 37 seconds combined, but everybody knows you as the Speedo guy. <laughs> Whose uh, idea yeah. was, was, did you lose a bet with somebody? I lost a bet and my buddy, he was going to have to uh, sleep with a 68 year old lady. So, um, so uh, I, had, I had to follow through with the, with the bet because I would have made him sleep with the lady. So. <laughs> so, so man how much did you get paid for that yeah i don't remember but um i got paid uh, you know that that was one of the last the end of the sponsorship era yeah um, you know i got i mean it was over 20 so that's I, pretty I, good I Reason why I, I know it was that because um I had to I should have pulled out of the fight. If you watch that fight real carefully, I I went in the hospital. That fucking doctor from the UFC screwed me over. Thursday I went into him and I was like, "Yo, man, um I got a swell in my in my arm," and um so he gives me a shot of uh, of of cortisol. Move your finger. Dennis, hey, you're hold, you're covering the camera again. I had a staph infection in my elbow and um. He gave me a shot in my elbow of cortisol, which is like the wrong thing, to, or cortisol, which is the wrong thing to do to a staph infection because it blew up huge. Look at that! <laughs> Look at that fight! Like I, I get right on that guy's back and I throw the, I throw the rear naked on, and he just grabs my arm and pulls it right off because I have zero strength in my arm because it's and it mm. looks if you look at the, the forearm, it looks like Popeye surprise because it's already swollen up huge, and um, they drain like, like. 
12 cc's of pus out of my arm at the hospital. Yeah. It was uh, <clears throat> terrible. Uh, but I, did, I, I didn't pull out of the fight because I had so much money and sponsorship that I was getting that I couldn't, like, uh, I couldn't afford to, you know. <laughs> those, those times, you know, the money's tight and you're getting paid. You know, I know you have to pay me my show money, but I couldn't afford to not get paid all the sponsorship too. I would have lost like thirty, or, you know, I think it was like thirty-five thousand with all the different sponsors. So I was like, well, you know, your sponsors got their money's worth because yeah. you, I mean, you were the talk of the town. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what was the conversation like after? Was Dana threw a fit? Like, I, I thought you were for sure fired. Like, there's no way this guy's ever making another <laughs> UFC appearance. You can't, you can't, you can't, I didn't get fired for that. You can't fire somebody for that. It was completely legal. Like, those were those were legal shorts. They were legal everything. Like, that's not that was people's fault that that um that you know the the dressing room people that worked they the saw UFC. It. They clearly they, like they didn't see it. Dennis was slick about it. He wore shorts on top of it and pulled his shorts off. I, dude, I've watched it like 20 times trying to figure out how you got through like all of the safety measures. You're wrong, though. They know what you're wearing when you go out there. And I showed them what I was wearing. They know what you're wearing before you go any, before you show anything. You have to yeah. show them your shorts. And I showed them the shorts I was wearing. So you did. I figured you hid it from them, but you just kind of did it like a last second thing. Man, there's no hiding. You can't do that. You have to show them everything that you were going to wear. That's part of the game. Wow. And uh, they, those people might have got in trouble, but I didn't get in no trouble. <laughs> hey, did he come in and talk to you? Did Dana come in and talk to you about it? They were. There's nothing to say to me. Like, like uh, you can't. <laughs> I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> yeah, that that's to the people in there. Like, you got to show them your stuff before, and they make you show your stuff. So that's on them. If they saw it, didn't say anything to them. Uh, what do you want to say? See, I, I just figured, like, you wore shorts on top of it, walked all the way to the ring, dropped the shorts, and went in there with what it is you were wearing. That's what, that's what people that don't, aren't fighters, they, like, they make up things. <laughs> not to offend You know, I mean, you guys come up with reasons why, but that's not really how it works. And you got you to gotta show up all your stuff. And I was, you know, what I was actually hoping when I, when I, was, uh, when I was going through the, the process that they would have told me that I couldn't wear them because – you know, then I would have, then I would have done everything that I had to to to, to satisfy the bet, but yeah. they didn't. They wouldn't let me. Sorry. Well, what was the actual bet that you lost? Like, what what was the the wager? I can't. But I'll tell you what, it was uh, it was decent, but it, it was it was some some personal stuff that has to do with personal people. So I can't okay. talk about it. We've, we've all we've all made a pact not to not to say anything about it. What? <laughs> But think about it that my my boy was gonna have to sleep with a 68 year old lady named Zelda. So <laughs> All right, that's not <laughs> yeah, that's, that's enough. So at UFC 140, you fight John McDessey from Canada. And right. um it was your first time since Jens Pulver fighting at 155. And right. you missed weight. You I think you weighed in at 158.5. What, what was the reason for the weight issue? Was there something like health-wise going on with you? It's about like two and a half pounds. Um, uh, it actually was less than that, but I knew that I wasn't going to make. Uh, I, I would have missed about like a pound, but they they call off the time anyways, and so I drank a little water. Missing weight didn't matter, and you know I, I was the kid was going to fight me anyway, so it didn't matter if I missed it by two and a half or one pound or whatever. And um, I, I I cut thirty six pounds. I was trying to uh, I was trying a new diet. From that 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 diet that that Mike uh, Dolce, Mike Dolce was Dolce was uh, was you know telling him 
So I tried it, but I, I lost a shit. I lost like 36 pounds and I put it all back on. That's why I look so huge at, at fight time. But I just, uh, you know, it's my first time doing it. And I just kind of, kind of, uh, needed a little bit more, more guidance. You know? Now, you know, TriStar actually requested that fight. It's one of those times where a coach says, no, no, this is the one they want. They get what they asked for. And I don't think you took a single punch in that fight. I didn't take a punch. Like it was 40 some punches to zero, but uh, Joe Silva called me and he's like, those TriStar guys, they, they really think that they, they have your number and they requested you. So I go ahead and take him out. And I was like, okay. Huh. By the way, you do a good Joe Silva. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, now, um, I, 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 does it surprise you that 10 years later that John McDessie is still fighting in the UFC based on that performance? Is he? He is. He's got a fight I, coming up. I didn't know that. Yep. I didn't know that either. That's, that's pretty good of him. I'm proud of him. Yeah, he's um, got a fight coming up, and he hasn't dropped a weight class because he's really small for 55. <clears throat> and you, you, you would think he'd at least go down to 45, especially being almost a decade it's being the smaller of the two opponents. Right, especially after I showed how to beat him. <laughs> Dude, that was that was ugly, man. Like that was like I it wasn't even fair. Like I, I very rarely do you see fights like that happen in the UFC because everybody's maxed so evenly. Right. He, he was cheating too. He wouldn't let go of the fence. I'm like, let go of that fence, boy. He was like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So that did surprise like at, at that point though. What what happened to your UFC contract? Like they didn't reoffer that, that you ran out. They never called you back. Like Tiago was- and um, I was going through like personal issues at that time. Um, I was going through a divorce and it was fucking pretty ugly. And uh, and um, that same weekend uh, that the fight was happening, there was some major like issues with uh, my kid and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of just was not in the mentality for fighting and. Uh, so I, I needed to go home. One of the situations where you know you uh, fighting becomes not like not important at all, you know. Yeah, yeah. So you also had a couple canceled bouts. Uh, the first one was with uh, Tony Ferguson. Um. Yeah, I got was- injured. For- I got. Uh, I got injured right before I was supposed to fight uh, T.J. Wahlberger. And Tony, for and I injured myself, and then um, like I still have a twenty step too. <laughs> Damn fighting! Um, I just was getting little injuries that were that were that were uh, you know, at wrong times, like right in the middle of camps, and my body started falling apart. It started kind of adding up. Um, you know, you had you had mentioned yeah, I was going to ask you about the three times you were supposed to fight Diago uh, Tavares. I mean, the first one was August eleventh, two thousand twelve, and September first, two thousand twelve. And then October fifth, and I know you had that was the one fifty one bullshit that, that we had. Like I was, yeah. we were ready to fight, and then uh, that one fifty one happened, and so that we missed that fight. And then uh, they, you know, that was one of the reschedules because of that. How does that go down? Like uh, essentially, what we're talking about is UFC fifty one. John Jones was supposed to fight Dan Henderson, and when Henderson fell off, Chel Sonnen stepped up, and John Jones refused the fight and they canceled the entire event. So do they pay you your show money or, or do they just reschedule you? They didn't do nothing, man. (laughs) (laughs) 
Wow. Now, wow. Did, you, did you ever feel like they took care of you? Like at all? Um, yeah. Uh, Dana, personally, like when, whenever that shit happened with uh, my personal shit, he, he gave me my show. And um, he fucking, he paid my show and my win and was like, hey, you know, we're going to cut you because uh, you just kind of fucked us over. But, you know, <laughs> handle your business. So, like, I mean, which was cool, you know, I mean, that, that shows that Dana's like a human being. On the personal side, he's a great guy. On the fucking business side, he's a jackass. But, you know, on a, on a, on a personal human being side, he's a, he's a great person, you know. So you're talking about on the brown silver undercard of October 5th and the FX5. Um, you had missed weight against, you know, with Tiago Tavares. How much did you miss by? Dude, I, like, again, I missed by, like, maybe two pounds. But by the time I, but, you know, after you know you're not going to make weight, I don't give a shit anymore. But I know I'm not going to make weight and he's not going to take the fight. Then I don't care. Like, would I miss it by one pound or freaking 20 pounds, you know? So I just drank water. So they were like, oh, he missed it by 10 pounds. But no, it was because uh, after the guy told me that he wasn't going to fight if I didn't make weight and I wasn't going to be able to make the weight, then it didn't matter what I weighed. Yeah, fights off at that point. Right. Yeah. Right. And you, you also had a canceled bout against uh, Joe Riggs in uh, Fight Night 3. That was, that was bullshit, dude. We went to, I went to Canada to fight him. And then uh, it was about medicals. This little, and so we went to get the medicals done. And uh, something about we got the wrong medicals, some bullshit. Like, um, I don't know how it weren't turned out, but they told me that I didn't get the right medicals done when we, they brought us there early and went to the went to the place to get medicals. And then they weren't the ones that they wanted. And so uh, they pulled the fight. That's the promoter's fault. Right. And that, that little scumbag promoter owed me money still because he was supposed to pay me show money for that because it wasn't my fault that they didn't do their shit. And uh, fucking tried to, like, ditch us and leave us in, in, in some nowhere Canada. Man, well, he could have just got the medicals done in Canada, but it would have taken nine months to get them done. You know? <laughs> right. so, so, Dennis, there, there's a kind of a standard questions we ask 50 Fight Club members. And how many times have you been ripped off by a promoter? Mm, more than I know, like probably a few. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you just mentioned that guy from Medicine Hat, uh, you know, up, up in Canada. Is there anything else, any glaring, like, incidents that took place on the regional scene that, you know, are are just, like, beyond Ever fight for Brad Kohler? (laughs) No. (laughs) I knew better. Um, (laughs) I mean, most most of the time you have, like, uh, other fighters that protect you from from happening, that kind of thing happening. Um, There was a guy named, uh, uh, I was supposed to fight Jens Pulver. Um, before the UFC, um, this guy name was like Rudy something, Rudy, and we were supposed to fight in Idaho, and um, it was like uh, Team AMC versus uh, versus Team Mortgage or something, and uh, it was gonna be a good fight. There's myself, Ivan Salaveri, Josh Barnett, uh, Josh Barnett, okay. I, yeah, uh, Jeff Monson, and Anthony Hamlet versus. Uh, they had a bunch of guys. My guy was Pulver, but ended up this Rudy guy ended up he. He uh, ended up screwing the whole thing over, and we we were smart enough, and no one fought because we realized, you know, we were we were hip to the situation before. Mm. Um, were you guys at the event? Yeah, we were at the event, and then uh, and he. Uh, I don't know how it happened. Like uh, there was no people. Like his promotion was really shitty. Like there was like barely anybody there, and so we were like, "Hey, we want to get paid first, buddy." 
And yeah. um, he's like, don't get my money, and then disappeared. So, and then. Holy uh, cow. It was a magic Holy show. Cow. He disappeared. A dirtbag promoter up named Sean Brooks. He did the same thing. We were supposed to fight Team Shamrock versus Team AMC, and we all got up there. And uh, and again, um, Frank Shamrock actually slapped uh, slapped the kid, the promoter, and um, and uh, we ended up not fighting there either because another situation where he was supposed to have all these tickets sold, and we looked, and there was like fifteen people in the in the event center. Man, that, that's that's during the time, like the era, where all you had to do was put up three, four, five posters, and you'd have a couple hundred people there. Like it's, it was impossible not to draw on an MMA event at that time. Not you know, true. We, We've had a couple examples. <laughs> yeah, but they just didn't do their homework. Yeah, they were. I, I agree. It's hard to. It was hard to lose. I used to promote a lot of events. Hard to lose money on an event if you do any type of promotion whatsoever. You know, like, unless you're just paying people what they deserve to be paid, <laughs> you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yep. And then, now, when you were with the American Top Team, did you witness any erratic behavior between Josh Barnett and Hector Lombard? No, I, I, I wasn't there at those times that, that, that Josh and Hector got into it. But Hector's crazy because Josh is, Josh is a, a, a dangerous person, dude. He'll, he'll, he'll fucking hurt you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's we, we've heard from several people like that. They've had some encounters that were just absolutely legendary in regards to like Barnett really putting it on them and just not letting up. Right. Well, Hector, <laughs> I heard Hector was an asshole like used to being a bully to people, and uh, Josh was bullied when he was a young a younger kid. Like people used to tease him until he would chase him like at school, and um, like. <laughs> And, you know, people, people harass him and he, just to get him to chase him and scream. And so, you know, Josh was, Josh wasn't the type of guy that you want to bully. And so uh, Hector picked up the wrong, uh, the wrong person to, to start it with. Because Josh will, Josh will hurt you, man. He's a little bit out there. Man, One time, you know, you I'll know. tell you, we were all at a party. We were all um, at the bar and we came home. This is why I'll tell you about Josh. We were all at this, uh, this, uh, bar and we came to we all uh, came back in Tacoma to a house party and there's this guy out back um that had a machete and when we get there some of the, the kids that were there they're like man this guy he's threatening people he has a machete and uh Josh walks over into the kitchen and he, and he grabs a pan out of the from underneath the stove and um fills it up with water and puts it on the on the stove and I'm in turns on the stove. I'm like I'm like what are you doing Josh he's like I'm gonna boil this water and throw it on that guy I was like <laughs> I was like, holy shit, you're a fucking deviant person, dude. You're crazy. So, yeah, that's you don't want to fuck with Josh. He'll throw boiling water on you. Uh, <laughs> did uh, what was the relationship between him and Jeff Monson in the gym? Um, Jeff, I mean, Jeff or Josh liked to like to beat on Jeff pretty much, <laughs> and Jeff didn't like it, but uh. You know, Jeff, Jeff could have him, but Josh was, Josh was too, Josh was, Josh was really talented. I'm surprised Josh wasn't like a, like a long, a longstanding uh, UFC champ. I mean, you see what he did to Randy Couture, you know, took his birthday away. Yeah. uh, uh, Josh didn't do more. Yeah. Yeah. And um, (coughs) were you in, uh, 
were you training with Josh at the time when the Affliction show got canceled? Between him and Fedor, he's about with it, Fedor. I mean, we were on. I I had probably been one time in the two months prior. You know. Okay. So when when Jeff Monson fought Josh Barnett, you were in the corner of Barnett. Was that awkward? No. <laughs> Not at all. No. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, when you're. We're just everyone's, you know. It's not like when you're cornering somebody. You're just, it's. I don't know how to explain it. It's just you're. It's 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 sport, you know. Sports is okay. sport. That's gonna be like, oh, I hate you. You cornered this guy. Blah blah blah. You know, I wrestled yeah. since I was little. So it's not like a big, a big deal. Yeah. If you're, you can be friends afterwards. You know, I, I, I'm with you, the man. Some people get all bent out of shape about that stuff. I'm like, dude. That I mean. That's not going to make any difference to me. You know, if you really rely on your core that much, you, something's wrong with you. You know what I mean? I remember fighting in Japan and they had they, my, they didn't give me a corner. They gave me some Japanese guy who didn't speak English. I don't need, you don't need a corner really. I mean, it's helpful sometimes, but if you're dependent on that, man, you lost already. I think. Now, now Chris, your corner was Phyllis Lee. I agree, man. <laughs> Phyllis Lee, yeah. God bless that's true. That's true. She she did help me out. Get him, get him, Chris, get him. So Benji, so Benji Raddick, like with, with I, I know you guys were, were real tight, you know, for a long time. Um, I, I think you had mentioned earlier prior to this a, a story with Benji in regards to an armed robbery. W- would you mind repeating that for you know the interview? So we were out um, the night before. Um, I had uh, fought for a sport fight, and uh, so we, we went out and partied really hard the night before that incident, and uh, the next night it was uh, myself, Benji's girlfriend, and uh, Benji's uh, girlfriend's sister were at Elmer's um, eating breakfast, and uh, a little girl came to us, and she was acting all, all like, sketchy, and uh, and she's like, we're being robbed, we're being robbed, and we look around, and everybody was underneath there their uh the seats of their of their tables so we we were like oh we better get under our table too so we all get under our table and uh and we look at each other and there's a guy over with a with his uh appears to be pointing a gun at the at the um the hostess and benji looked at me and he goes fuck this and i'm like no bro (laughs) (laughs) he grabs his cowboy hat and he puts it on and then uh He's at like behind the guy. The guy can't see him. And he's like tiptoeing up to the behind the guy, sneaking like ding, 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 like little Scooby Doo. <laughs> I'm like, fuck this guy. He's gonna get a shot. And um, he sneaks up behind the guy and uh, grabs the guy by the wrist and uh, like where the gun would be if it was a real gun. But um, he, he grabs the guy by the wrist and points, pulls his hand back, pointing it towards him. And at the same time, the guy's you know the guy's falling backwards, trips him, and then. Um, turns over, puts his knee on the guy's chest, and then just gives one of those binge erratic knockout punches right to the guy's teeth. Bam! And uh, by this time, I'm like there, you know, caught up to the guy. And uh, I had to pull the guy. I grabbed the guy's stocking cap that he had over his head and that was on the ground. I used it to put my hand over there, and I pulled the guy's teeth out of his mouth because Benji caved all his teeth into his mouth. He was choking on him. And uh, then the guy wakes up, and he starts crying. Not again, not again. And uh, so <laughs> counseling, we're like, what? He's like, oh, I just got, you know, he just got back from Arizona, got out of prison. We're doing the same thing. And uh, 
turns out that it was a it was a squirt gun, a little fake gun, and uh, and he was he picked the wrong he picked the wrong Elmers, you know. <laughs> don't don't rob the Elmers with the with the squirt gun. Yeah. And there's a UFC fighter that's that's uh, got some screws loose that's just kind of <laughs> knocking teeth out. Wow. Uh, Maybe he just wanted to go back to jail. Maybe you guys helped him out, you know, fear of uh, freedom or something, man. You know, that's not a good well, that's not a good plan. Would he just what, watch Pulp Fiction or something? You know what was crazy? What, what was crazy is the people at Elmer's were mad at Benji for, for beating the guy up so bad. But he only hit him one time. But like, it was you see, was- liberals, <laughs> I'm just mad at these people already, man. You shouldn't have hurt him that bad. Yeah, I should have. You could have punched the gun out of his hand. You could have punched him in the leg. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I, I know Benji, and I, actually, the thing about Benji is, you know, his his story is a little bit of a tragedy in the MMA world, man. You had to be close to all that stuff. Why, why don't you give your perspective on Benji's kind of downfall with, you know, the, the girlfriend like thing? That guy, that guy could have been the best in the world, but he like had zero luck. Like. Uh, Started off fighting, fighting in sport fight, and he's he's destroying Chris. Uh, Chris, um, what's the guy's name? Chris, uh, the guy that fought in the UFC. Lieben. He was beating the brakes off Chris Lieben, and uh, there's like 30 seconds left in the fight, and Chris Lieben throws a hook and breaks Benji's jaw, and uh, oh. Benji, Benji picks Lieben up, takes him down after his jaw's broken, still on top of the guy, punching him, right? Well, the referee is from Chris Lieben's home gym and stops the fight with Benji on top, 30 seconds left, stops the fight and calls the fight. It's over because Benji has a broken oh. jaw. Some bullshit. And um, so Benji, that starts <laughs> off with, that starts off the big, uh, the big medical issue. So come to say of his whole career, probably 10 years of it were, were um, injuries, you know, broken hands, broken, broken jaw. He um, had an ACL. Meniscus. Yeah. And the, the doctor was uh, falsifying the, uh, the records of the deceased. And um, they, put a, they put a cadaver ACL in him. Well, that cadaver had staph infection in it. And so he ended up having to spend, you know, you're not supposed to take antibiotics, uh, IV antibiotics for longer than three weeks. Well, he had him in his, he had a pick in his heart for three months of antibiotics to keep, the, to keep his body going. And um, it it ended, up ruining, it ended up ruining his kidneys, so he has like kidney damage now, and just it, it trashed his whole body and it, his whole, his whole, um, his whole everything. And the saddest part about it now is I, I, I think that he's suffering from CTE. Like his, his, uh, he, I love the guy to death. He's like a brother to me, but he sees Bigfoot everywhere, and he thinks that Bigfoot's everywhere. And he beat up his little brother because his little brother said that Bigfoot was not in his car. And um, he's like, Benji, Bigfoot's not inside my PT Cruiser. And he said, yes, it is. And he beat him up for that. And then the next thing we know is there's a, a, a trail cam hidden in his PT Cruiser. Like, Benji put up a trail cam in the PT Cruiser to catch Bigfoot. What the fuck, man? So I don't know. I love him to death. But, but I think that they, I think he's suffering from some shit like that. It's like making him like delusional, you know? Because Bigfoot's not everywhere. He might be real, but he's not. <laughs> Not in the PT Cruiser. Yeah, he, he needs like a conversion van. He's not into the PT Cruiser. <laughs> He's a big fella. Yeah. You know, that, so, that is- so, uh, I mean, that begs the question. I mean, how, how are you dealing with, I mean, you've got so many fights. you probably got 100 fights. How are you yeah, dealing with memory issues? I didn't, I didn't take damage like that. Like, I didn't take punches, you know, big punches. 
to the you know to the head. I got hit the probably the hardest I ever got hit was by a single punch by little Paul Rodriguez. Paul Rodriguez and hook and shoot. Yeah, closing his eyes, you know, closing his eyes and hitting me. That was probably the hardest I've ever been hit. And hey, you were winning that fight too, dude. You were winning that fight, man. I, you know, you learn to quit being not, not to be arrogant during a fight. And that's what you have, that's what you learn. So, yeah. you know, part of part of fighting is learning learning how to be a, a man too, you know. Like so the things that happen in there teach you uh, humility and show you know respect everybody no matter what because you might be ten times better than the guy and he'll he'll throw that punch with his eyes closed and knock you out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, but you that, gotta, did you, you, you ever? I'm sorry to interrupt. Did you, do you feel with all those fights you never got concussed like in practice or anything like that? <laughs> uh, you know that that is is a no, serious I, issue that it's a work risk you guys had. You know. I mean, I'm in practice. I might have had where I I was boxing with uh Brad Blackburn. That little that guy hit hard. Yeah, and, uh, I, I've been hit by him a few times. And uh, where where I was like, you know, you start you start not realizing where you're at, where the round is still going or not. You know, one of those. But um, not very often. You know, I I didn't just didn't take a lot of blows. I, I was I I. I don't like getting hit, you know. <laughs> That's cool. So, how about the rest of your body too, though? Like, you know, rest of my body beat up from wrestling. Like, my knees are bad. My television <clears throat> bad. I got, uh, I got a torn bicep still. Like this one right here. The fight right <coughs> before uh, the night. Check this out. The night before I fought uh, uh, John Fitch, um, I'm in the, I'm in the bathroom because I'm cutting weight, and uh, I reach my hand out to close the bathroom stall. And that little motion of closing the bathroom stall tore my bicep. <laughs> I was already the replacement fighter. And so I just told Fitch, you know, I'm like, yo, man, um, I'm not going to pull out of the fight, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to go cut any more weight either. Cause look at my bicep and it's still partially torn. Like I'll show you guys on the, see how it's from back, like about two inches from the elbow. Okay. Right, uh, right there. You got that gap right there. Yeah. That's from, that's uh, torn, you know, partially torn, and that happened right the night before the Fitch fight. Man, yeah, God, suck. Now at at that point, you know, Fitch was that for uh, World Series of Fighting? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think so. How how, how was that show? Like how serious? Like now you've been with UFC, you know, well, those guys were good. Once they were big and stuff. Nice. They, they 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 took care of us and and they were a good good organization. I I, I they were treating me well. You know? That's cool. That's so, good. You know who the, that that guy from Titan? That guy's another guy that owes me money. That motherfucker. Um, when I fought <laughs> Hornbuckle, that guy still owes me money. That's you mentioned you asked really. Me uh, yeah. What does he owe you? I don't remember. <laughs> like it was so long ago. Did did he not pay you at all? No, he paid me, but it was a couple grand. He was supposed to pay me the rest. So, oh, wow. I mean, I paid like 105000 something like that. Very, so. very <laughs> What'd you think of Hornbuckle? Hornbuckle was a, like a oh, local was, Midwest guy. He was a tough kid. I'm surprised he didn't go further. I'm surprised he didn't go UFC. He was he was tough, and he was as good as any of the other guys that, that fought. Yeah. You know? he just, I always uh, thought he'd make it, man. He was he was uh, tough, had a good uh, – Native too. American thing going for him. I yeah. thought he was a tall guy. I thought he had done well, but right, he just disappeared after after my fight. So you you ruined him. 
<laughs> no, I think he went by Japan after that, but uh, but he kind of just fell off. It was it was, you know. Yeah, I heard he had personal Happens. problems. I actually, I I think, I don't know if it was his mother or his ex-wife or some, but somebody sued him, thinking he was making all kinds of money and fighting. And you know, as we all know, not a lot of people get to break into the huge money, right? So start taking mm-hmm. ridiculous lawsuits. You know, I don't know. Hey, I, I Chris, did you get a did you get a um some solicitation in the mail from uh from random law firms trying to solicit you to hire them to sue the UFC? I have a, not that I know of. No, I don't. <laughs> so, I didn't, my wife might have got him and threw him away, or maybe she's doing it without my knowledge. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> not to my knowledge, but no. Uh, no, I'm good. I've got two of them now. Really? From law firms, yeah, saying that there's a potential uh, like a uh, lawsuit. So, did you sign up? <laughs> No, they made. The, I didn't do anything. I just, I just looked at it. They made like a nice little packet and everything, like a brochure, Man. explaining it, all sorts, all sorts of stuff. Well, no, I haven't, I haven't got any of that type of stuff, man. One of my questions on my old time list is: is you, you talked about Hume and your relationship there, but because of your location, you you spent a lot of time too down with, uh, well, I guess, what was Raw, Real American Wrestling, and and like Lin Lind and those guys. Uh, you know, talking no, really. about you mean uh um um what the hell they call themselves? Not weren't raw, <laughs> raw, <laughs> no, raw on the uh, law. No, it was team uh quest, quest. Yeah, team quest. Yeah, I mean, I I coached for them. They they I was hired by Matt to to coach for a while, and I coached the IFL team too. Um, <clears throat> I'm like I'm like right in between those guys. I'm. Uh, an hour and a half south of Matt Hume and, a, and an hour and 45 minutes north of uh, Team Quest. So now uh, we, I, I usually, we usually, we have a lot of respect for Matt, obviously, as, as you know, his nickname's The Wizard. Right. But I, I, I like to get a little prop for guys like Robert Follis and people like that, especially because, you know, they're not as famous and Robert, you know, isn't with us anymore. Robert, so Robert was- why don't you give a give us a, a little Robert Files stories or anything like that you might remember? Give him some props. Robert was just a, he was a great um, he was the guy that could watch videos and come up with a game plan and and break somebody down like uh, to the T. And uh, he just was he was really talented at, at doing that kind of thing. And he didn't get any of the respect. Like he was instrumental in, in Randy Couture's first uh, you know big run whenever everyone was high, high up on Randy. That, I mean, a lot of that was Robert Follis' game plans. You know, he was he was uh, the man there. He was the guy that was that was uh, that kept that whole you know the glue that kept the whole org- the whole group together. Um, their main coach. Mm-hmm. So, mm. and it just you know, when he went back to uh, when he went back to Extreme Couture and he brought that whole that whole he, he brought them back from from irrelevancy into having a good group of guys again. So. I mean, I, I really enjoyed Robert and uh, Huck. Man, I can't. It's just the uh, people don't know his brother, his, his uh, twin brother, committed suicide. Um, you know, not too long before that. So, God, uh, man, just yeah, uh, it's a real- you know what's going on with with that. It's super sad. Yeah, you know, back to Benji Raddick. The one thing that like when, when I had a conversation with him like 20 plus years ago, oh, I shouldn't say 20 plus, but close to 20 years ago, 
he was saying like when he got to the UFC, there was a lot of jealousy. Like people are like, oh, you know, he's with, you know, Dennis Hallman and Barnett. Like it was almost as if he received favoritism to get a UFC contract. And, you know, mean, I'll, I'll, meanwhile, he absolutely deserved to be there. Did, did you sense that as well with, with, with Benji in his UFC run? No, like what he, um, I had talked to Joe Silva about him, you know, like right when I, when I first uh, was training him, I said, Hey man, I got this kid that's killing everybody up North. And, um, you know, he, he told me, he said, Hey, get the kid, uh, you know, eight or nine wins and, uh, and I'll pick him up. And he, on, on Benji's 10th win, uh, you know, Joe was a man of his word and, and put him in there and, and, you know, said, hey, I got this Steve Rigger kid that that uh, <laughs> that is looking, you know, that we're going to, that we can match him up with. And and it had nothing to do with, with who Benji knew. It had to do with Benji wrapped off 10 wins and, uh, you know, and, and he was fighting on the regional circuit and was making a name for himself. So, I mean, I don't know why, why people would say that. Now, did you actually think it's like, I remember back in those days, you you were associated with Hume, and Hume had a contentious relationship with the UFC. I mean, Hume was, you know, <laughs> not not the favorite person of the UFC, especially Dana when he came aboard too. Like, and they never stopped. Feel, did you ever feel that held you back? Of course, it totally held us back. Like, if I would have uh, my first negotiations with the UFC, like uh, UFC thirty three after um, after John Preddy was gone, it was just Dana and the other guys. If I would have uh, I, I, I wouldn't have been in the, you know, I, I had five different contracts with those guys. They cut me five times and hired me back five times. <laughs> that's what they did with the people that they, they weren't like money guys. You know, they would keep money's guys and, and uh, under contract. And with uh, the guys that were like, they were Hume guys or whatever. If you, as soon as you lost one, you're getting cut, you know, and then they'll read, they'll rehire you if they want you, but they were just, that's how it was. But it was because whenever they were asking, whenever, um, at UFC 33 when it was their first their first it was that was the first pay-per-view event um MMA event in Vegas history and um they were asking uh Hume you know like hey give us a break on on the on the um on the purses that you're asking for because we're we're going out on a limb here and um you know we'll we'll work we'll we'll build this together you know you guys help us out we'll all do this together and Matt was like no um pay us this and that's it <laughs> or, or, or we don't fight you know or we walk you know, and he wasn't willing to work with them. And that was kind of their, that was the reason why I'm sure if I was with somebody else, it would have been, or if, if Matt would have approached it differently, then it could have been, you know, a lot more uh, cordial than it was, or than what it actually was. You know, when, when Josh Barnett went up against the uh, Nevada State Athletic Commission in regards to his, his steroid test, I'm not sure Matt did him any favors in, in well, that, that hearing. That was cool. That was bullshit because what it was is is they didn't bring any of that stuff up about the steroids until josh wouldn't sign like uh if he would have signed it would (laughs) never happen because but it was whenever josh wouldn't uh wouldn't re-sign with the contract they wanted him to that suddenly he tested positive for steroids but prior to that they they, that no one said anything about that they said it was like like it was described as a failed steroid test that popped up a fight or two later. Exactly. That only came up because he wouldn't sign their, their contract. You know? <laughs> they, stole his, they stole his title from him and tried to erase that he ever had it. You know, it was bullshit. 
Yeah, Matt didn't do him too many favors in that in that, that hearing, although I understand where his point of contention is. Like, all right, well, if he tested positive then, why'd you let him fight this time? Yeah. Right. But that, that Matt, Matt's, Matt's logic with that, like, you can't argue that. The way, his argument was, was like, it, it wasn't going to do Josh any favors at all. It wasn't going to change the outcome for Josh. It was just like him chastising the commission for not being fair. Like, that's not your... <laughs> Your place to chastise the commission, Matt. Your place is to try to try to help Josh out, you know. But hmm. now, are you still working out? Um, I, I I got a couple of kids. My my youngest son, he's trying to do some training. Um, nice. He's uh, twenty years old. Um, I got a couple of people that that are trying to get into it, but th- there's some they got some time to go, you know, before getting up at that that next level. Now I I let's go back a, a step here to more of the, the relationship with Matt because now the thing about Matt is Matt always had for himself gigs in Japan and stuff and that's also a nice foil to say hey you know I'll get you a fight in Japan if, if we can't get in the UFC but you didn't get old you know that that was also part of it where it's like you got you have a ton of fights but I don't know that a lot of them were great gigs like in Japan and stuff like that is that for the UFC like why why yeah. i know you got to stay loyal and, and there is that but if you you're kind of thinking you're being held back like what are your thoughts on it in retrospect what would you do different what would i have done different um oh man i would have uh like i said that first negotiation with the ufc i would have i would have done that differently um i would have given matt more i, I, I wouldn't have been so uh what you know i'm a lot older now so i can see the world in different in a different uh from through different eyes but i would have given matt a lot more space when he was going through that personal trouble you know we expected a lot from him jeff and (coughs) expect a lot from him and uh you know expected him to be uh not to be human you know expected him to not you know we we expected him to put our careers and all this stuff first whenever he was going through personal problems his wife was accusing him of weird shit you know like just like stuff that's not that was not true whatsoever but it was like stuff that you don't want to be accused of you know that kind of thing yeah Mm. leverage she's doing it for leverage yeah and uh you know we just we just didn't you know we we didn't see the big picture we you know, you when you're when you're young and you're in your twenties and you're looking at you think these guys are, uh, you know, masterful managers and you know they they got it all figured out. But you know they're just people that are trying to live their life too, and you know you're just, you're they're trying to take care of you too. But but their life's falling apart. So I expected more from him, but it was because I ignorantly expected more from him. You know. Like I didn't probably just like that. like looking up to him, not like a guy's right where man, you just look up to him. Man, they can do everything. And you get older, like reminds exactly. me when, when you're a kid, you look at like any parent, you're like, man, they know everything. And then you become a parent, like, they don't know you don't know anything. <laughs> it's like uh-huh. just making stuff up and like try to do the best you can. Like, that, that's what it sounds like to me. Like all of a sudden you're the older you become the older guy, and you're like, Man, I I don't know everything, but these young kids think I do. That does that make sense? That's exactly what it was. So well, let me give you and what about Aaron Riley? Aaron Riley talks about a coming to moment with Matt Hume where he's working out for a few hours. He's about to leave. Matt invites him to roll. And he's just like, there was almost Crash as if a, a demon possessed him. 
And it was like a frightening experience. And it was just kind of like a, a rite of passage. Did you experience that with Matt Hume as well? No, Matt and Matt liked me. I, I like am uh, like for grappling, I have some whatever the ability, like if you show me a technique, I know I can pick the technique up right away. Like I don't need to be shown 30 times or whatever. I just have this inept ability to like uh, to like pick things up really, really fast. And Matt loved that. Like in and so when he would show me a show a move, I would learn it really fast. And so I was kind of like his little pet for a little while. Um, we had another kid uh, that ended up uh, um, chopping his boyfriend up and and uh, throwing him in the in the in the river. And now he's doing life in prison. His name was Kim Mason. Um, like uh, <laughs> Matt was hard on those guys, but he was you know they would they would always get kind of uh, they'd always be like ah oh, you know you're you're Matt's a little pet, but uh, it, it was just because I. I don't know. I got along with Matt really well on a personal level at that at, at that time when I was learning from him because and he, he he liked me because he didn't have to show me twenty times, you know. So, well, I think really... yeah, part part of it, Dennis. I mean, you know, honestly, you 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 had a lot of natural talent too. That's one of the reasons I want to ask you. I asked you about Follis, and I, why don't you talk about your moment with Hume where he impressed you? Because you're not easy to impress, but Hume is a, a an all time great trainer, don't you think? Well, yeah, Matt, like one of the best times with Matt was uh, when I was fighting. Uh, um, this is like an example why we why we got along, so, like why we worked out so well. When I was fighting uh, Ben Saunders, um, there's this technique where where the guy grabs you in a tight clinch. You uh, you slip your hips down and you fall to your butt and you turn to the side and put your foot on their hip and, and it, it takes them down. And Matt showed that to me in the back room before the fight. And then... Uh, <laughs> we went out there and fought. I did the exact move, you know, perfectly to the T during the fight. And, uh, you know, that, that was kind of how, that was kind of the energy that him and I had together that, that wow. it was so good that like, he could show me something that I could get up right away like that. But, That's um, funny. Jeez. Now, uh, you made your first kind of international appearance as part of Hume's team in Abu Dhabi. And, uh, why don't you take us through that experience? Because at that point, you're a real young man. You got your talent. But now you, they also, I don't remember, who'd you, who'd you get in the first round? Did you fight Henzo? I went against Henzo Gracie in the first round. Yeah. And, Good uh, draw. That's, that's right. Matt helping you out there. Matt, Matt will be like, yeah, we'll fight Henzo's team. <laughs> uh, it wasn't like Henzo, like he, it was, I think it was like uh no score, no score, and they gave it to him or something, or maybe 1-0. I don't know. It was a pretty good match, but um, that was just like over, you know what I mean? Like, you're a young kid there, and it's like super uh, – that was before Abu Dhabi was was built up the way it is now, too. It's still like a, just a little desert town with a bunch of Moroccans at a, at a bazaar, you know, <laughs> working for them. The, the, the city wasn't all built up at that time, and uh, that was crazy. Um, Josh Barnett was peeling the stickers up. The, the, you know, they have those – we're in the hotel room. And uh, they have all the stickers pointing towards Mecca. Josh was like pulling the stickers, turning them around, so they pointed the other direction. <laughs> oh my god! Um, I don't know. I had, I had, I had, uh, yeah, Hinzo, and then I had uh, Rico Rodriguez in the absolute. So I. <laughs> Jesus. You know. So. Now your whole team, your whole team. Did you go back a, a second time? You you did because you 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 beat Chris in the qualifiers. Ninety nine, and then um, 
And then uh, I got fourth in 2005. Well, that was when I beat uh, um, Frank Trigg and then Reese Andy. And then I lost to Jacare and uh, Saul Ribeiro. That Jacare had a hell of a run that year, though. Like it was, he had an insane run. The other bullshit thing is Jacare didn't make weight. He come. This is like a, the one ninety three pound weight class. Jacare weighed like two twenty. He flies in from the thing, comes in there, doesn't weigh in, doesn't have to do anything. They just let him walk on the mat, giant guy, and hmm. uh, crocodile walk. <laughs> But now, did you I, say Reese Andy? You you fought Reese Andy? Yeah, I grappled Reese Andy and choked him out. Well, um, well what was that like? Because Reese is another human product. Yeah, Reese, Matt was in Reese's corner, and and uh, <laughs> he it, yeah, Matt Matt knew that I was going to beat Reese. Reese picked me up and threw me for like got three thousand dollars for the throw of the throw of the night. <laughs> and then uh, right when we landed on the ground, I snatched his back and choked him, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Reese. Uh, Reese was um, a, a little mooch. He would kiss Matt's ass pretty well. Matt, Matt liked that about him. So. <laughs> so, of those of those old school guys, it sounds like Barnett's the guy that you're kind of thinking is the guy that was the best. You know, the best one among them. Where do you rate like guys like Sal? Of, of all of us, um, Josh was the best. Um, I probably was the second best, and then Ivan was the third best. That's the way I would look at it from all of our guys. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then when you, you mentioned Kim Mason, I know Kim Mason. He was a kickboxing prodigy kind of thing, a guy a guy that Matt was bringing along and stuff. He had some talent, some marketability and stuff. But, right. but like you he said – Here's the thing. He was a police chief's uh, stepson. and uh, Not stepson. His police chief's adopted son. And – um he uh was we didn't know but he was he was my workout partner and uh he was like he at the time he was like um pretty buff and strong as hell but then he went on some crazy diet to where he like quit eating meat and he like, got way more ripped so he looked way tougher but he was way weaker and i was like kim you gotta you gotta uh lay off you guys to put meat back in your in your system because you're not as strong well little did i know it's because he was frying on acid and uh and humping men um, so his thing was, is, is, uh, he found out that his boyfriend told him that he had AIDS. And so, uh, Kim took a, a bottle of a, a syringe and filled it up with bleach and then tied the, t- tied the guy up, um, taped him to a chair and then threatened to inject bleach into the guy's neck. And then, um, so the guy like talked him into letting him go. I love you, Kim. And so, um, Kim let him go. And, uh, the guy called the cops and said he was kidnapped and all that. Well, Kim gets arrested, but then he gets released because he's the police chief's son. Well, after that, um, what happened is Kim uh, re-kidnapped the guy, chopped him up into little pieces, murdered him, chopped him into little pieces, and <laughs> they never fought. And uh, damn, confesses that to his to his girlfriend, and his girlfriend like tells the cops what happened, and so they ended up getting him on circumstantial evidence. And he's doing life in prison. Man, so training partner, huh? Now, 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 Miguel, didn't he fight for you while all this was going on in hook and shoot? If if I if I could add to the story, I, I think that the actual incident where he committed murder happened either the week before the hook and shoot. He flew to hook and shoot and fought. And if you check the tape, his his band in in the his leg is bandaged, and in the interchange, apparently is. He got cut in the leg, 
trying to kill the guy I, or or whatever it was. So it's kind of like the hook and shoe fight is evidence. <laughs> hey, if, I, if I'm the this dude should have tried to fight for you in uh, freaking Costa Rica, he could just never came home, man. That's what it been my plan. <laughs> <laughs> It, it just, you know, I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot to take in there, and it goes beyond fighting. There's a lot of problems Oof. there, but he, he was a talented individual. He actually was part of Matt's ADCC team one year too. Yeah, he, he was a good grappler, man. He was good. Matt brought him and uh, Matt had that uh, that kid um, Otto Olson, who who ended up getting oh. second. But Otto was a runner up in, in national. He was a three time All American at nationals uh, in wrestling too. Wow. So, uh, and Otto, Otto was a long, tall, lanky guy, and he ended up wrestling his way to, to second place at Abu Dhabi. Yeah, you know, like the mixed martial art grappling world, you meet so many people that you would normally never cross paths with. You know, another guy like Rafael Torre. You know, it, it's just like footnotes like Kim Mason and Rafael Torre that th- – did you ever like, cross paths with Rafael? But it's just – it's so yeah. interesting how these people kind of come to the top. Rafael was nice too, like <laughs> – for a guy that, you know, murderer. But <laughs> now, you said you, you kind of split time. You know, you were you spent a lot of time at Team Quest. Did you ever roll with Gerald Strevent? Yeah. I mean, yeah. we're speaking, we're talking murderers. I mean, we might as well go all in. What was your experience like with him? Um, this, I mean, we throw, you know, nothing, nothing big where I would, where, where, uh, I have nothing special to say. Just we, you know, we rolled in in, in goes, and that was about it. I mean, did anything like personality-wise, kind of? No, I didn't. I didn't really chat with him very much or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Craziness, right? Yeah. Now, I, I think I was the matchmaker when you fought Ansar Chalangov. Now, talk talk well, that about was, that because bullshit. That was the most bullshit fight I've ever been in my life. Like well, we fought, I'll, give, I'll give you a chance to talk about it. I, I just want to give. The, here's what happened: is no. we fought, and the first round's over, and I go back to the corner, and yeah, I'm tired. And the fucking commission guy, Larry Hazard or whatever, comes back to the corner, and he goes, "You look way too fatigued. This fight's over." I'm like, "What are you <laughs> talking about? Go, look at my opponent. He's he's fatigued too. Look at my opponent." And he goes, "No, you're way too fatigued." And he fucking called the fight. I, For I fatigue. Was, yeah, from me being fatigued, but I didn't ask him to call the fight. Fucking no one did. The doctor had already seen me, and the damn commission guy, Larry Hazard, jumps up on the corner and says, I look too fatigued, and that the fight's over. Where was this at? Jersey. Atlantic it was, City. It was my, it I was was my show. Pissed, man. I was pissed. I've never heard off. of such a thing. I think about I went back, back, went back to the back and Go ahead. I had heat exhaustion real bad, but, but still, like, you don't stop the fight for that shit. Man. That's nuts. Now, the thing Man, about Chris- Chalangov is one of those guys that come, you know, Khabib and those guys are from the same area of Russia. And he was another guy who was supposed to be a technical wizard. What'd you think of, what'd you think of him in the early versions of the of the Russian, Chechen, Southern Dagestan? I, I was out grappling that guy big time. He didn't do anything but but stink really bad and and <laughs> he never stopped but moving. He, but, but but he I, did I, it well. I out grappled that he stank bad really well, Chris. Yeah, he did it well. <laughs> he stunk, the best. The guy needed some B.O. B.O. beater real bad. He, he didn't never watch his armpits ever. I remember that. He was stinky. Like, strategy. Like, 
He was sneaky like Matt Horwich. Oh, oh, yeah, that's. We're gonna have him on. He's a Fifty Fight Club member. He's I definitely a Fifty Matt. Fight Club. Member. Yeah, I, I beat Matt Horwich up in the street. Like one time we were at this party and he fucking kept on harassing me. He had this buddy named TJ, TJ the bum, and they kept on harassing me and Benji. Like, um, you know, it's uh, spar, spar with Matt. We're at this party. We're trying to pick up on chicks and shit. Spar with Matt. I'm like, dude, leave it. And we're all drunk and shit. And Matt, and finally, I'm like, dude, if, if leave us the fuck alone, man. We don't want to spar or whatever. It's, we're at a party trying to hook up with chicks. And then uh, Matt like comes over to me and like, like waving his little hands at me. And tries to grapple me, so I fucking pick him up and slam him down the ground, smack him in the head a few times, and then uh, his friend TJ like comes over and tries to like hit me from behind, and Benji fucking smacked that guy in the mouth and knocked him unconscious, and then uh, Matt curled up in a little ball and was like, "Stop, stop!" But uh, <laughs> I felt bad because Matt was like, "Matt's kind of special," but um, I love the kid. <laughs> He's a good guy. Like, like we're good friends, but um, yeah, at that time, like, you know. He needed to get beat up. <laughs> <laughs> There's also you. You mentioned you did you, you uh, dabbled in promoting. Now I, I know you promoted a couple of shows too, like in the '90s, where you know you were forced to drink a beer between rounds and shit like that. How'd you describe some of that mayhem? <laughs> that, 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 that's, that's that's bullshit. That's that's somebody spreading some wrong rumors. We never had anybody forced to drink beers during the rounds. We didn't stop somebody from drinking beer during the rounds. We, but, it. <laughs> we had we had uh, some fights we called King of the Keg, and uh, yeah, like you didn't have to, you didn't have to. Uh, we there was no rules and no there was no rules in the fights and uh, there was no, uh, you know, it was basically like uh, the street beefs, but but in a in a twelve foot by twelve foot boxing ring and uh, you could do what you wanted to do. 12 and, uh, by 12. 12 by 12. <laughs> That's excellent. Phone booze. And at the same time, we would be having like a rave going on at the same time as the fights. It was crazy. I used to make a lot of money at those fights. This crazy, this right outside this warehouse, I'm not joking around, there was a, um, about six feet high and by about 20 feet wide beer cans. That's how many beer cans. So think about how many, beer, how many beers that was. Like, I mean, we had probably 14 or 1500 people at the event and um that's how many beers there and the and the manager of the of the of the um the uh industrial buildings comes and he's like what is what's going on with all these beer cans here and i was like i just played it off i was like i told you that you need to clean those up when we first moved in they've been here all along <laughs> the guy was so he was so mad <laughs> Hey, you gotta love the wild west days man anything where you can just do whatever there was no rhyme or reason to it man now, right yeah. commissions uh, ruined everything yeah, i know is, man, suck, I mean... man. <laughs> now before i'm gonna let mike wrap it up here in a little bit oh, i'm done i want to ask you about one other thing you mentioned we thought you know we got a great scoop with jeff munson admitting to using the wizardator in the tim sylvia fight and I think Munson's used it again or before or after or something like that. What do you know about Munson and a Wizardator? And whose pee was in there? <laughs> whose pee? I don't know. But you want to know what? That crazy son of a bitch, he has in the past shot, um, injected pee, somebody else's pee into his liver. Like like somebody's real pee with a tube into his liver so he could pee clean that way. That's, That's a way to get an infection. Yeah. <laughs> you think? <laughs> 
But the, that wasn't the first, that wasn't the only Wizinator time, I'll tell you that. I'm no. not going to name it. That wasn't the only time. We're gonna have to have we're gonna have to have Munson back on. I'll tell you, man. He, we know he's not a germaphobe. No. Right. <laughs> hey, I think he's got. He's doing that. Can you imagine injecting somebody else's pee into your bladder? That's nuts, man. Yeah, that I, that's yeah, that's it's that's one of the more interesting stories going on, man. All right, yeah. Mike Rep. Thank you. I'm, I'm shocked. <laughs> I, I, I'm shocked. I'm speechless after hearing that. Cool. Well, hey, uh, really appreciate your time, Dennis, man. It's been great getting to talk to somebody who's uh, another old school guy, been around from the beginning. And uh, these are the best stories ever. And uh, glad you were able to be here and, and tell us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure talking to you, Chris, and you too, Miguel. And yeah, you as well, Mike. You guys uh, enjoy the night. You too. Definitely, good, definitely good catching up. We'll stay in touch, and uh, I'm sure we'll have you back on at some point. Thank you very much, buddy. Yeah. <laughs>